Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Jonathan and Bethany Chu have always been proud Memphians, but when their twin daughters, Lydia and Penny, were born at 28 weeks, they became acutely aware of the amazing medical teams in our area NICUs and the work of the Forrest Spence Fund. Jonathan is a professional touring violinist and an active member of the Memphis coffee community, while Bethany is an American Sign Language interpreter and an adjunct professor at the University of Memphis. The twins are now 11 and have been a constant reminder of the gift that life is. Today, I have Jonathan and Bethany Chu on with us, and we're so excited that they're here to speak with us and are looking forward to hearing their family medical journey and their story. So thank you for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, We have both of them here, and so obviously... Uh, I think everybody will be able to tell the difference between who's Bethany and who's Jonathan, Um, but we're excited to have both of them here. So let's just start with um, the names of your two precious girls. We have twin girls uh, named Lydia and Penelope Chu, although Penelope goes by Penny. Um, And we've joked that Lydia should have gone by Nickel, but that hasn't (laughs) stuck. And how old are they now? They're about to turn 11. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so hard to believe. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about your medical journey. And I, I know enough um, to know that it started even in the womb. So tell us just your medical journey, what started y'all on this road of needing care at Lebonner Children's Hospital, but even I know that you had care before that. So tell us a little bit about y'all's medical journey. Um, Summarizing it is tricky, but I've had 11 years of practice, so we'll see if I can um, share it briefly. Essentially, um, the placenta did not split evenly, and so Lydia got all the nutrition she needed. Penny only made one kidney, Um, but she was making her brain at the same time. So we feel like she made the right choice there. So she made (laughs) one kidney, which caused issues with lung development because of amniotic fluid. So we were seeing um, maternal fetal specialists early and knew that there was a good chance that we would not end up being able to bring our girls home um, and that they would, they would not survive the pregnancy. Um, And so. And at what what week did you receive that news? How many weeks pregnant were you? That was 11 weeks when we found out there was a major problem. Wow. And then at 17 weeks, we went to go see a specialist in Houston. Um, The recommendation was selective reduction, that we end Penny's life to protect Lydia's life. Um, and after much prayer and consideration, immediate, absolutely not. And then the, the realizing that it's, you know, protecting one child's life. It's, it's the question that no parent wants to have to answer. Um, so the Lord was gracious and guided us. We, we essentially got to a point in that part of the journey where, um, for lack of a, I guess like the, the moment of kind of 
God being present in that moment and saying, hey, I want to be involved with what's going on. He was, uh, he, the specialist in Houston was like, hey, there's about a 10% chance that she's going to survive if you choose to continue on. And uh, we both kind of just sat back and go, well, that's our 10% offering that we're going to offer her life to you. Um, and that if, you know, we, that's our hope and our outcome is that we end up with both of them together. And we are going to do our best to say, you know, in all this, we're going to give you glory and honor. And, um, and this 10% is your offering. Like we will do our best to raise them with you in mind of everything. And here's that 10% that you would be willing to spare their lives so that we would be able to just give them an opportunity to know you. Wow. Um, and so that was, that was kind of that early, early journey. And then we made the, we made the trip back home and started the process of watching them kind of just grow and develop and, um, and pray that we get to at least viable, a viable, uh, week that we could at least deliver a little bit early, um, through all of that. So, and so what week was that? So you came back to Memphis, you monitored them through the fetal center, the maternal fetal center, and then you must have gone into labor or did one of them start showing distress? What happened there? Um, we went for a routine appointment when our regular doctor was out of town and the doctor that had not been following us said, oh my goodness, we have to get you to the hospital now, uh, which our, our primary doctor said was most likely going to happen. Um, so we, we went in and it did turn out that, that she Penny did, was yeah. going into heart failure. She had early signs of heart failure. Uh, so we were at 28 weeks and um, that was, we spent a couple of days in the hospital while they were deciding exactly when and where, um, but then they were born on December 22nd in 2010. They were due March 15th, 2011. Mm -hmm. um, so they were tiny little jokers, but they were fighters. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And from the very beginning, they, um, they just showed that they, they would go through whatever <laughs> they needed yeah. to go through. We, we have teased, you know, Fast forwarding through 10 and a half months in the hospital, it seemed like every one of Penny's systems had to do a little freak out. Uh, Lydia was two months in oxygen. She had a PDA ligation surgery, a minor heart surgery, but um, nothing extremely major for her. And she came home two months before her, no, a month before her due date, two months after her birth. Um, but Penny had every little system had to had to go ridiculous. Like her blood sugar at one point was 1940, which is silly high. Um, but that's when we got to meet Dr. Joy Sampson, who is the light of our life. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she was the one to call us that first day, like, hi, I'm the new doctor and your daughter's blood sugar is ridiculous. So this is what we're doing about it. Um, but situations like that kept happening. Her bilirubin was 14 instead of what it should have been. Her CO2 was a hundred something instead of 35 to 45. Um, so Every little system had to say, you know, I'm here. I'm mad, but I'm here. <laughs> and um, she she pulled through every one of them. Yeah, they were that when they delivered at 28 weeks. Uh, Penny technically was a 25 weeker by weight. Uh, she was uh, one pound eight, mm -hmm. one pound eight, and Lydia was two pounds four. Um, and so Lydia was on track. She was pretty. Um, she was, I guess, like typical for 28 week. So Penny was much smaller. And so, uh, yeah, again, with the placental split, it was like a 90-10 a split, essentially. So uh, Lydia got a majority of that 
nutrition and, and birth. And there's a, there's a lot of really interesting, cool things like cool. I don't know if that's the right word, <laughs> but interesting facts about their, their pregnancy that, you know, we found out afterwards that like, you know, the fact that, um, you know, uh, the fact that Penny had a twin allowed her to be able to open up her amniotic sac bigger so that she could breathe more of her amniotic fluid because she wasn't producing enough. And so, so she didn't have any developmental um, muscle muscle and bone issues like a lot of kids who have selective interuterine growth restriction do because they didn't have the extra um, fluid space that she kind of borrowed from Lydia where she was able to stretch out and then go back into her area with not as much fluid. So Right. Okay. Amazing. Sister sharing stuff. from the very <laughs> yeah. beginning. Wow. Yeah. And so 28 weeks, you quickly, because you can't deliver at Lebonner Children's Hospital, so you delivered somewhere else, <laughs> immediately taken to Lebonner. No, we a... spent uh, a week together. Yep. I mean, time is fluid in that, <laughs> that <laughs> right, space right. of parenthood. I don't exactly know exactly. It wasn't quite a week because it was... Oh no, that's right. It was right after Christmas. After Christmas, we spent right Christmas after, together. They left on at the twenty seventh. Okay, um, I think that was right. They left on the twenty seventh from Methodist Germantown, and they went from yeah being together Lydia in the same room. No, Penny. Penny left, left first. Penny left first to go get to go. And make that's sure what I, I yeah. I remember meeting y'all, and they yes. weren't together. <laughs> and yes. Yeah, so yes, I remember that part of yeah. y'all being but, split and them in two different places. That was our first introduction to the Forest Spence Fund. Yeah. Was you had dropped off a care kit and it was two of them. You already knew the situation and you had one waiting for Lydia. And oh, wow, I haven't talked about this in a while. <laughs> Gonna get me first. Push, a, push um, an emotional button. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but that just, you know, I was traveling a lot and coming in and out of town and like finally like got settled back home. And, and Bethany was like, they already have two loveys here for us. And, you know, like, they already know that there's there's a there's a twin. It's not like they just didn't know that there was another a baby coming, and so um, that was really seen. cool. Yeah, at at that moment, you know, we a lot of people are focused on them and focused on what the girls are going through health wise, but you know, you guys really like, hey, these are babies. These are these are children of these parents, and um, they need to be loved on and cared for. And you stepped in and saw that and. It's not just medical medical things that need to be taken care of, but like their their emotional, spiritual well being too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know that the loveys were intended to. Maybe they were to make <laughs> us feel seen as a family and valued as a whole unit, and not just the medical needs of the babies. Um, but that was the result, <laughs> along yeah, with the no. journal and the snacks and the pen and the you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, those um, are the that is the purpose of the levies. The levies is definitely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, the purpose of the lovies is also, you know, your smell. We encourage the parents to, yeah. you know, hold it, rub it and get their smell. I think we even encouraged you like, let Lydia smell go back to Penny and let Penny smell yes. go back to Lydia until they can be together. So there's definitely purpose, um, you know, in everything we do. We said that about the care bags too. There's purpose in every single item that's in the care bag and why we chose it and why it's in there. Um, so there's always purpose in it, but also definitely just so you wouldn't feel alone and feel so separated knowing that y'all had to be separated and they had to be separated. And obviously you were healing from, you know, delivering them and um, all, all of the unknown. So 
you know, I've I've known y'all a long time and obviously followed your story back then. I actually never knew that Penny only had one kidney. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I always just assumed that her medical issues had to do with, um, you know, the womb. I always knew that she did not get all everything that she needed to get and then was premature and um, and then all the struggles she had from that. I actually did not know about the kidney. I think also because of I know of her needing trait care and all of that stuff. So so two months you spend all four of you really in the hospital. Um, y- y'all also were that team like they had just moved to the brand new hospital. You were yeah, we were like one of the first week two. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to experience a little bit of that, you know, struggle, but you know, every nurse was like, we're so glad to have the space. We're so glad to have these, you know, areas, but they, they were all like going through that whole scramble of like, where does this, where is this going? How do we find this? And where do we keep these things? I remember needing to take a shower and they were like, uh, where is that? (laughs) But they always, they always made a way. Um, I mean, from shampoo to, kangaroo care and making that a priority when, when it was so complicated, it took like five medical professionals to get a child in my arms. They made it happen. Um, so, um, we're so grateful for, for yeah, that. we were, we were one of the, we were the first twins in the twin room. That's right. Um, but we didn't, we weren't both in the twin room, right? <laughs> we were neighbors. Like, um, Lydia was in the twin room. Penny was too critical next door to right. be moved over, but that we were able to open the door between it and and um, I, that's how I remember. I remember that <laughs> of your rooms yeah. next to each other and, and the door. Um, right. We would, so, we would slide. Gosh, there were so many nights that we would just like be in the slidey chairs and the, the rolling chairs to just roll to the other side, roll back to the other side. Yeah. So, so amazing. So two months, you're all there. You start to learn that Lydia's thriving and really doing well and you're going to take her home obviously there had to be some really mixed emotions with that knowing that you're quote unquote kind of leaving one um, in the hospital but you still have this very tiny very still very needy um, baby who wasn't even 40 weeks technically Um, so tell me about that tell me about that feeling of rejoicing that Lydia is well enough to come home, but then grieving that Penny is not. And really at that two month mark, Penny was still very, very critical. So tell me me about your thoughts on that, how y'all managed it, your feelings with that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to go? (laughs) Um, There comes a lot of, yeah. I have been in therapy for two years now, so I've worked through some of it, but that, pocket of time, I don't have a lot of memories of. Um, we've got pictures. I I mean, I'm so glad that we took a lot of pictures and videos of Lydia being home in that tiny time. Um, but my, my mom was there. My aunt was there. Um, she went back to work. I was still working. Um, Cause you were the yeah, insurance, and, right? Right. Yeah. Um, although they were by that time, 10 care had kicked in praise yeah. the Lord for okay. 10 care. Um, I thank everyone who works in Tennessee for helping to keep my children alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but he was traveling again. Yeah. We um, kind of had to like step back and like, oh man, we have to get back to real life. Otherwise we're not going to, 
just financially couldn't keep up with it. We would, we even had friends from church, ladies from church that would come over and keep Lydia while I went to work during the day. Yeah. And then in the afternoon I would come home and pick up Lydia and take her to the hospital. And oh, I just remembered we would take the double stroller because yeah. why would we have a single stroller? We had twins. Right. So our one baby for eight months that she was the one baby we had at home would ride in the back. And then the picture of Penny would ride in the oh, front right. seat. I forgot about oh, this. So, so Penny was with us. So I'd roll the picture in the baby. I'm sure now that I think about it, rolling through Bonner, people are like, oh, but she lost the one. Like, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, up yeah. there yeah, kicking and yeah. screaming and Charming nurses and PTs and OTs. Um, but yeah, every afternoon I would take Lydia up to the hospital and spend the evening with Penny and then take her back home and go to bed and get up and go to work the next day and and keep doing that. Whether Jonathan was in town or not, sometimes he was with us, sometimes he wasn't. Yeah. Just to kind of give that that story, Bethany uh, was a school teacher. She's an AS, uh, American Sign Language um, interpreter. interpreter. And so she was a, a staff interpreter at the school at the time. And then I'm a touring musician, so I play for different bands whenever I'm a hired gun, just so um, uh, whatever, you know, whatever is needed, I get hired for. And so I was out with a, a band at the time, and they were so gracious to like, hey, take as much time as you need, join us back whenever you can. Um, and so I felt like that it was like a three or four month window, I essentially missed a, a whole tour. Um, and they were like, hey, you know, if you want to come back, you can. So they were gracious to let me come back. But it was really hard to like be gone for weeks at a time, almost months at a time being gone away from them. And Bethany, we just, we, we like, uh, <laughs> essentially like got rid of all of our old technology so that we could do whatever the best video stuff was at the time. I think it was like, we were both using Skype. I was traveling internationally still. So I was like it's Skyping every day. Pre -iPhone. Pre yeah, well, not pre-iPhone, like before we pre got me having an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like we, I think we like started to, you know, up all of our technology so that we could just be family together in the hospital. Right. Um, we called him Rectangle Daddy. Yeah, I was Rectangle Daddy for a long time. Yeah, a lot. There we have he a couple is. of like on the screen. Yeah, yeah, always on the screen. Yeah, family. We, there are a lot of photos of us. Yep. We yeah, there we did. We took family photos that way one time. Like it's my mom and dad and 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 the girls. This is a little a little later. But mom and dad and the girls, and they're all together, and I'm on an iPad or something like that. It was just a phone. Like, <laughs> Next one. Yeah. But, yeah, we that time was really like, you know, okay, so today we're going to spend the morning with Penny and come home and spend the evening with Lydia. And then the next day we're going to go, we're going to spend the evening with Penny and like do bed care with her and that somebody else put Lydia down because she was the one that could be taken care of by somebody else. Right. And so there was a lot of that flip-flopping, like going back to the hospital. Some nights we'd spend the night at the hospital and Bethany would go straight to work from the hospital. I would stay with Penny over like through the morning and then come home, do laundry, take care of things, like play with Lydia while I was there. And then we turn around and go back, spend most of the afternoon there, turn around and come back home. Like it was just- You see why it's yeah. a big blur. Right, oh, for sure, for sure. But in that blur, there was a constant of, you would be walking down the around, hall and yeah. I would be like, I'm fine. And then you'd come in and be like, how are you? And I'm not fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, just knowing that somebody had been there before and had done that and was, I like the nurses are kind and wonderful, but they're not the mama. Mm -hmm. um, so to have a mama to talk to and nobody else in my family had done that before either. So yeah. 
And the other moms, I mean, we're all just walking around like zombies in the lactation room or whatever. Like there's some relationship that we formed some friendships, um, but they really were cemented after we left the hospital. In the hospital, you're just so focused on keeping the little ones well that you don't um, you don't really even have the energy to care for yourself. Yeah. I guess that would be one thing um, that I would say to anybody going through a hospital journey with their little one, especially teeny tiny ones and immediately postpartum. It's a little bit different when they're older and they can express their needs or when you're not physically healing from birth and trauma and all of that. Um, first, my first thing I always tell people is take a ton of pictures and videos because you won't remember it. You, you're sure you will, but you won't. Um, and the second thing is to really pay attention to what it is that you need as a human being. Um, and whatever bit of that you're able to get, do it. Like I, you encouraged me once to go, um, take a walk at the park near the hospital. Um, and I remember that walk. Do I remember the three months carrying for, for the back and forth? Not so much, but I do remember that walk because it was what my soul needed at the time. Um, so just paying attention to what it is um, that you need and doing whatever bit of that you're able to do. And then be prepared to do some catch up after life settles down. Uh, like right. I've already mentioned therapy. Um, she started, she's starting to remember some of those months, like little things will come back. You're like, oh, I totally forgot that happened. Or Like the double like stroller like, situation, yeah. I completely forgot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've repressed a lot of that or suppressed. She'll see a picture and go, I don't remember this happening, or I don't remember, you know, and we'll kind of have to backtrack and go like, what was happening during that time frame, and go, well, I remember this point. I remember this point, And I kind of remember something happening here, but she'll have like those little memories of like, oh, remember when so-and-so did this for us? Or when, when I took that, took these things, you know, the breaks in between that like life kind of happened that was semi-normal and not hyper-focused on on a child or on, and again, not, not that the child is not important, but like, like mm -hmm. those moment, moments kind of pinpoint, okay, there was life happening in those times. People were helping us and people were caring for us. It's just a matter of, I just remembered oh, no. <laughs> we would go down to breakfast at the cafeteria that, well, the, our NICU time for most people, and it is really difficult and crazy hard in the NICU, but for our family, because we were so used to him traveling and he was home, we spent the most time together that we had spent together in yeah. a long time. And so it was really sweet for yeah. us to be with our family and to be laughing and, you know, just being together. Sure. There were machines and nurses and doctors and impending doom, but we got to go for um, breakfast dates yeah, down to every the, morning. the cafeteria. And even to this day, thankful they, again, thank you to the Spirit Force yes, Fund on for, those meal vouchers. for meal vouchers. <laughs> yeah. We would go have, Biscuits and gravy and oatmeal, oatmeal with brown sugar and craisins. Yeah. Um, and to this day, that's the only way I want to eat oatmeal is with brown <laughs> sugar and craisins because wow. that's the way you eat at Wow. Um, but those, yeah. those were sweet moments we had um, in, in the midst of Yeah, the it was crazy. like two months. Yeah, before the pandemic, that was like the longest stretch of time that we had spent together as yeah. a couple uh, was living in a hospital mm -hmm. and, you know. Doing yeah. that life, was, Yeah. Life, well, yeah. And so, um, so you've, you've said Lydia was two months, Penny mm -hmm. was 10 and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Before she came home. She finally came. Well, she, she had a short week stint at home, but her oxygen levels, she, her lungs were not ready. She came right. home at five and a half months on oxygen G2. Um, and then 
it was clear that she was not tolerating it. So we had to take her back in. That's when her CO2 was in the hundreds when it should have been 35. So she was intubated and sedated in the, in the PICU for a five month. Weeks. Five weeks. Five weeks. I remember. <laughs> he remembers because was... he was traveling most of that time. Well, and... there were some things that like we held off like on just like making decisions on whether to trach her or not. And um, I have a lot of personal guilt that I still am dealing with like from that. Just like knowing her now versus, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I have to hold on to this one. Whole, knowing her now and what she, what we went through with the trach, I felt like, and this is just personal guilt, but like I'm, I'm dealing with that, like, like dealing with like I knew the life that she had post the trach, and it was so. Again, this is a, for medical people that understand this. There's so much more life that happened because she ended up getting that thing. She had access. She to had it. access to more life again rather than being sedated and being in, you know, in this place of like, and so I felt like, I felt guilty because I like, I held off and like, no, she can do it. She's strong enough. She can, she's capable. And I just didn't lean into the doctors at that point and go, I hear you. I should take that advice. And um, and so that was one of those moments that I waited. I felt like I waited too long. Bethany was a little bit, she had kind of reached that point a little earlier because she saw it every day. Um, But we had seen her defy the odds. Right, right. So many times before. That you you felt sure that she could, and she did. She just did it with the trick. With the trick, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 I will say too, though, is I, you know, obviously I've been mentoring a long, long time, and um, I've used y'all's story in that regard of being not always saying your name, but being a family that struggled <laughs> with that decision, and then that being a decision that you made that you knew uh, was so much better for her quality yeah. of life um, yeah. because she was able to go and do and go home. And y'all were such a beautiful example of where it didn't slow you or her down. She went everywhere. <laughs> she did everything. She you rode know, a that, camel. <laughs> I mean, that Don't double tell the doctors, she went swimming. Don't tell <laughs> Very I mean, she, she just did all these things. But at the same time, I think if you had rushed into that decision, and had yeah. made it, I think there also would be regret and guilt and, you know, what if that hadn't been the right answer? What if that had been a struggle? Sure. And so, you know, as we all do, as we go through, you know, whether our kids are healthy or or they're really sick, you know, there are moments where you question everything and yeah. you just have to trust that you are making the best decisions possible. And so with Penny... <laughs> you know, you, you are making the best decision you thought possible. And so I do hope that, you know, more than ever that you can see that, that, you know, we have to trust and listen to these amazing medically trained, you know, in all honesty, smarter than me, people (laughs) tell us what they think is best for my child. Mm -hmm. But my mama gut, my mama instinct has to also agree. And I also have to know that this is what's best. And so, um, you know, and, well, and we were so thankful for your, your advice and in, in palliative care. Like, I mean, we, we often talked team. about palliative team, like as like, Oh, you know, like, Oh, they're, they're only here in these last moments. But really palliative care, we, we found out more that they were the binder of like a lot of the doctors. They were like, Hey, let's bring these people together and come on to the same like thinking space together. Right to yeah. like bring the best care for them than anything else. And so like, it was, that's that what was... I resisted on. Cause in the right. <laughs> yeah. and I it was remember, 
I remember oh, yeah. you. I mean, I, I was resistant. Like, I remember having conversations with you because, but in all honesty, palliative care was new to Le Bonner. Oh, wow. When it was very new. Palliative care was not there when Forrest was sick, 14 years. So you're oh, talking about wow. three years. Um, wow. So it came after Forrest before y'all, but you're talking about uh, a very short amount of time. So even yeah. NICU, PICU attendings, they weren't all wrapping their hands around because mm -hmm. there also was a little bit of this, we've got this, we've been doing right. this right. forever. <laughs> we've, right. we've, you know, we've been telling families hard things. We've been mm -hmm. managing care. We've been, you know, getting everybody on the same page. Why do we got to have this other person come in and do mm. it? So there was pushback in lots of different ways, but I remember wow, I very vividly sitting with you and being like, mm -hmm. I really think you should get out of care. And you looking at me in <laughs> essence saying, you think Penny's going to die. And I was right, like, right. I do not think Penny's going to die. <laughs> like, but she just has so many different needs and she has so yeah. many different, and y'all had so many different doctors and different things going on. And then you had Lydia who still had right, her own right. things. And so I remember you really in your head, palliative care was end of life. Palliative care well, was not this beautiful what it is. Right. Well, I had labeled them because it was a group of women and they were all really beautiful women at the time. I don't know if they still are, but yeah. they would come down the hall of the NICU. <laughs> There's and some men. There are some men now, some men now. Okay. <laughs> Well, they were like angels of death to me. Like we had our neighbor and we had a number of neighbors who didn't survive. And I watched it through those little windows and through our big windows in the hall. And I would watch the comings and goings as this mother, woo wee, scared <laughs> that I would be next. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so they were lovely and they were always so kind and like they, they were good, but they brought bad. Right. We never, mind. And, and it wasn't until again, later that we really understood what their goal was, yeah. was to yeah. help bring in information to a more understandable place to help yeah. you make good decisions, to help you make, they were the ones that like, Hey, so this is what this doctor is trying to say. This is what this doctor is trying to say. This yeah. is what, you know, we're going to bring all that information and what that kind of, what that really means in the overall scheme of this. In, in life, of, not just in this little yeah, hospital room, but right. what it yeah. means when you go home. Yeah. They yeah. were, they were instrumental in our trait process. And I, yeah. I love, I mean, I'm going to use that, Jonathan, when you said they were like the binder trapper keeper of yeah. everything. <laughs> I mean, I think that is a beautiful way. Um, we've interviewed them as well. And a big part of it was I want to debunk what people think palliative care is because yeah. and even in all honesty, palliative care adult is very different than palliative pediatric care. And so, mm. you know, sometimes when you've dealt in the adult world, you can transfer it to thinking it's the same in the pediatric world and it's not. Adult world- well, but when you only see it too in the NICU as them going into certain rooms- Right. That, that, that end of life is close, you know? Yeah. And, and only, you only know that because of the interactions you've had with the, you know, the, the moms and the dads that come in and out and just like hearing the their stories. stories you made up like, for yourself. Well, yeah, yeah, just like things like, it's like, wow, they have a lot more, uh, you know, IV pumps than- well, what do you like you, you you kind of like yeah you you, you can science. only you can only you hold on to anything much from like visuals because obviously yeah. you know there's there's a lot of 
you, you can't talk. Nobody about can stuff. tell you anything. No, you 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 all, you often like have to go to the break room and go like, will this mom talk to us about what's going on? Because we don't <laughs> we're making up a whole lot of stories in our head. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, but you only see palliative care going into certain rooms, and you're like, what if palliative care started actually going to all the rooms? Not not that I'm judging them, but like anything like that. But like, oh, if, like that they possibly could, like, right? Yeah. Right? That they have yeah. that like. But like it, it helped us a lot when we knew that we were on a good track. Palliative care was coming in and going. Okay, they're not here for the bad. They're here to help bring information together, and that was right. really. Yeah, I just yeah. made a connection as you were talking. The way a lot of people think about therapy um, is like therapy is only when you are unable to manage your brain yourself and you need help. But that is not like if everybody could have a therapist to process things through and like to face the challenges of life with assistance, man, the world would be such a better place. Like if I wish I could wiggle my nose and have a palliative care team for everyone in the hospital, I wish I could wiggle my nose and have a therapist for everyone to process things with. Um, I think there, there's just a lot of, um, a lot of debunking that, that could happen in both of those realms. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Um, as you said, Penny came home five and a half months, wasn't ready, went back, spent some really scary time, spent some really scary time in the PICU. Then y'all started making the decisions to move forward with some different things that would allow her to hopefully come home and to be able to, you know, do life. So, um, had the trach, did all the trach training, you passed everything, (laughs) you come home with her when she's 10 and a half months, correct? And you finally have your two girls together in the same home. Yes. And tell me just even about that. Tell me about, um, I think often, because one of the things we're hoping from this uh, is not only for other families to hear other stories, those that have sick children, those that have you know, are, are diagnosed to the womb, same as you, but to get hope, to get encouragement, to also see that, you know, it's, 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 it's hard, but we can survive hard things. But also yeah. we hope people are listening and saying, how could I love someone who's going through a hard time? How could I come beside them? How could I walk beside them? What could I do? And where I feel like sometimes we as a community or we as a nation or world fail is when quote unquote, they think the dust settles You're home. Mm. Everything's great. (laughs) Look at you. You're finally together when really in all honesty, it's one of the, probably the hardest transitions. So tell me a little bit about that transition, what that was like, and then maybe even how we're going to go more into, you know, what you would say to families going through similar circumstances. We're also going to say a little bit of what what could we say to others who want to help these kind of families? But tell me a little bit about that transition. Ten and a half months, you get to come home. You finally have Penny and Lydia together. Lydia is, is doing well, meeting milestones. Penny is, Penny is very developmentally behind in lots of different areas. So tell me about that. Um, we had 24-hour nursing care, which is such a blessing. Uh, and also I became a nurse manager in a way that I didn't realize I was going to have to. Um, so I developed some new skills in, um, in managing people coming in and out of our home, but without those people coming in about in and out of our home, there is, there's no way that we could have, um, 
provided the normalcy for the girls. It seems so funny. Add this thing that's so abnormal sure. to create normalcy. But um, I was I was thinking about it earlier today. Like with without that second pair of hands, yeah, I I would have been so torn um, that I I couldn't have properly cared for myself and the girls at the same time. Um, especially with all of Penny's needs. And um, we had some amazing nurses that made it possible to ride camels and do crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. We only did it once, but it's a big thing for me. Um, so it's a joke. In, <laughs> that, <laughs> right, um, in that time, I was still working. Um, so I would have, somebody had to come in to care for Lydia and was there with the nurse with Penny. Um, again, a lot of that is gray, but there's so many um, happy memories of just, just they're laughing together. Mm-hmm. Like probably my one number one favorite memory of all time was when we laid Penny in the bed next to Lydia with all her machines. And first time and home, like after the trach and everything. They were in one literally bed. the very first night that they were together. Yeah, yeah. And that I was just talking to him and singing like I don't even know what song it was. Some oh, uh, uh, oh, this little frog with yeah, the yeah. little green frog <laughs> yeah. one day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It has silly faces. You're welcome, podcast listeners. You don't have to see that. But, um, so I was tickling them and they were both laughing and my brain just exploded in happiness. Like I was like, I've never felt this happy before in my life. Right. Um, Such joy. But all of that juxtaposed with I can't sleep because there's beeping. The nurse is taking care of the beeping, but the beeping still wakes me up. And then I have to listen for the other baby who has an apnea monitor still. And, you know, all of, all of the juggling, it was a lot. Well, that's what I, a part of, you know, I guess like this jumps ahead to what you were saying, like what you, what would advice you would give? And and for those of, those of you that will enter the journey of having the 24 hour nursing care, you have to think about, you are essentially moving your hospital room to your home now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you become this attendant at your own home for the care of these, of these care of these nurses and the equipment and making sure you're connecting with the uh, DME and um, D- DME as a mm-hmm. oh, DME and like making sure you're getting all your, your supplies and like, when is the next oxygen supposed to be dropped off? And when does, when does these things, when, when do these equipments need to be serviced? And usually they call you, but sometimes they don't. And the amount and so, of time spent on hold with insurance was <laughs> astronomical. Um, yeah, just, I mean, lots of little things that you like, oh man, these are, this is what all those specialists did for us at the hospital. And now we have to do while we get home. And really it's this new journey of like learning settings and remembering those, all those settings and like remembering all the techniques that you were taught at the hospital. And, um, it just, you, you, you're the one that has to do it. And, um, it's, you lean on the nurses for help. They're they're there to help you um, when they're staying in your home. But a lot of times you you sometimes step into that role and go like, I need to know how to do this in case there is no nurse. Because that happens. It happens. <laughs> a nurse will call in, you know, 20 minutes before their shift. I got in a car wreck. I can't be there. And so one of us would sit up all night long and, you know, uh, you know, watch movies and do whatever do we needed care. to do stay awake to somebody had to be awake because she needed it was like every two hours or so she would need some kind of intervention but then she would have to be her her numbers suctions or or, yeah like her oxygen was always being you know her oxygen levels were being watched and she would have she had um uh she had g-tube feeds that needed to be changed and um diapers needed to be changed and everything like that like so just everything 
you know, all the things that a normal baby would need on top of all the hospital things that needed to be done or medical interventions that need to be taken care of and um, adding, adding water to the adding water to the humidifier, uh, making sure the lines weren't clogged, making sure she didn't get water from the humidifier line into her trach. And mm-hmm. just so many little things that like, now that I think about it, I'm like, man, I don't know if I could do it again. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like, like yeah. I, I'm sure my autopilot would take over and go like, I can take care of a trach baby again. Mm-hmm. I could do this again. Like so many things that happened in that time. I'm like, man, I'm grateful for the nurses that were in there. But that was the start of a new a new road, a new path. You know, right. we, we were diverging off of that original hospital life and going, well, we've taken all the things that we were taught and what we watched and all the numbers and all the learning. And now we're taking this turn and now we're taking all that information home with us. And how and long was that? Journey. And how, how long then, did you have two and a half months and we had the trach was there for Three years. Uh-huh. She had her trach out at three. Vent was, then, a, was a year and a half. Yeah. Trach off. I mean, vent ended three. at two-ish. Yeah. Trach came out a year later at three. Stoma closed a year later. Yeah. And then the year after the stoma closure was actually the hard, not the hardest, but it was harder than I anticipated because she was so colonized with all this bacteria that we were fighting infection and she had a heart arrhythmia that happened. And so she was on all kinds of medications that were changing her um, behavior and all of that. So, but just you know, like, like thinking back to that initial phase, like to, again, to all the parents that may begin this journey, really like to, I guess my encouragement would be to anyone that's listening that may have a friend that goes through this mm-hmm. really dig in deep into that friendship and go like, how can I learn what you need when it comes to the medical things as well? Because there'd be moments where like someone would come over and Penny would be needing something and Bethany would ask like, hey, can you pass me X, Y, or Z piece of equipment or thing? And they wouldn't know what to look for. Um, and it's like, I, I just need that box over there or I need, you need to go grab a packet, one of these packets or boxes, you know, like it'd be like, you know, uh, a suction tube or a catheter or um something like that. Like if, if you as a friend know someone that has a medically fragile child that has equipment, please like just listen to what they, those things are and step in and go like, Hey, what, what is this? How does this work? Can I help you get those things and be a hand for them? Because really at that moment, we've learned to juggle a lot of things, but if someone were to be able to step in and go like, Hey, here's that catheter or here's that Here's uh here's another oxygen key or you know like like it's crazy how in those moments like not having to go hunt for that cuts that care time down so drastically and so fast and um mm-hmm. so step into the ring with y'all truly yeah, just absolutely yeah step, step past into the, the fear yeah because like I know my sister who is one of the strongest women I've ever known was scared to death of Penny because she, the first time she held her, she turned blue in her arms Mm. and she was like, what did I do? I don't want to do that again. Um, And I mean, I think every one of our family, I just vividly remember that moment. Um, Everyone was afraid to do something wrong because Mm. there are great consequences to that. Um, But each, each of our family members took on, like they, they showed up and they were there. But if someone is, um, in, in the position to be entwined in the life of somebody that's medically complicated. Don't, 
at least I would suggest, I can't tell you what to do with your life. <laughs> I would suggest stepping past the fear mm-hmm. and, and doing, being present and aware and knowledgeable as much as you can, especially because if the nurse doesn't show and I'm sick and he's out of town, somebody's got to know what to do, right. <laughs> you know, like the backup, the, the having somebody to fall back on the, the level of education necessary for, to be fallen back on is raised with the medically complicated yeah. um, right. kids and families. Um, so just being so even more, so, you know, often we say step in and, you know, obviously the, the, the meals, the, can I do your laundry? I'm going to mow your lawn. You know, I'm going to stock your fridge. I'm going to clean up your house or whatever, but even with the box of diapers, right? (laughs) but then you add, I love hearing that too, with the medically fragile step in and and even just say, can you teach me? Can I watch as you do this? You know, can I, you know, can I, help in any can way I load, up a, can I load up formula and a feedback for you, you right. know? I mean it's right that's so like it's it's crazy it's like that's just like you know pouring liquid most of the times most of the times there there are obviously some other there are other medically fragile children out there that require it's more complicated there are more complications that you've got to add medications and you have to know how much and right. how much volume you're adding like those are little things but like if if it's something simple as like hey can you pour this formula into this feedback for me that would right. be awesome and yeah. not be afraid, like, okay, like you know, learning what, what the feedback looks like and go how to open it and how to take care of that. Right. It may not be the like stare, like sterile field type things, but like, at least you're going and saying, Hey, I can at least open this box, pour the formula into the bag and hang it for you and be ready. Mm-hmm. That is huge. Cause all you have to do at that point is while I'm caring for the child getting diaper changed or gauze changed and changing out a G tube getting her back into the bed, ready to be hooked up and prime the pump. All I have to do is prime the pump and get, get the, you know, get her plugged up back to the feed. That but takes an intentional step into the uncomfortable. Yes, it does. Right. For, right. for the person outside the bubble. Cause it looks like a bunch of jargon and a bunch of hustle bustle. And I don't know, and I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. Right. Um, which and is we'll totally say too, I, I do think, you know, y'all can make an exception to that because I feel like y'all are people that are willing and open and very, you know, vulnerable to the fact of people could have stepped in. Not everybody. Yeah. There are some right. parents and families that I have come across that are very, very controlling as far as only I can do it and I'm the only one. But again, sure, we encourage, you know, who's listening, step in in a different way. Maybe it's not yes. the medical, you know, maybe it's the, I'm going to make dinner for you. I'm going to, yeah. while you're taking care of the medically fragile child, I'm going to do your laundry. Learn how your vacuum works. Right. Yes. Yes. So, you know, we just say like, step in, just step in, you know, where, um, and, and often, you know, just don't ask, just do, just drop off something, just pick up something. Or I think a post real recently came out that was saying someone sent a text after, I believe it was a miscarriage, but they listed three things and said, pick one of the three things I'm going to do for you. Mm-hmm. I can. Yes. Oh, that was a know. tip. Bethany. Yeah. Was, t- was taught, was told like, Hey, um, if somebody offers to help, um, have them say, uh, what was it like? Have them ass- like assign them a specific task at a specific time rather than say, Oh, thanks for the help. Thanks for offering. Because yeah. like most of the times people offering to help, they don't know what, obviously needs to be done. But if you gave them a specific task to be there at a certain time, they most of the times they're going to be there. I never had the mental 
um, wherewithal in that time to yeah. assign anyone anything. That's I true. was just yeah. breathing and making sure my people were breathing. Yeah. But I did, someone did recommend that if somebody says, call me anytime if you need anything and you say, oh, thanks, I will. You don't remember who said that. Yeah. So I had a note in my phone of my people who said to call them if I needed anything, because in that moment, I would not know. I wouldn't remember like, oh, who was that? And then have your number saved. So right. I kept a physical list. I didn't have to use it, but knowing that it was there, that in an emergency, I would have had a list of five people I could call who told me I had permission to. Um, it just, it eased my mind because yeah. in that moment where, oh shoot, I need to go get that prescription and I can't leave the babies. Who can I call? Like anybody can go pick up a prescription for you, but you got to remember who said they would and what their phone number is. Yeah. So having it physically down helps. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But That's... in the, in the offering help that yeah. the saying, these are three things that I would love to do for you. Pick, pick one, one two, three. Yeah. Right. Right. Two, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think we yeah, can, for sure, then. you know, being on the other side of realizing how much people stepping in to your mm-hmm. journey and what an, you know, what an impact that makes, you know, makes yeah. it to where, you know, for, at least for me, I will step in. David says, I almost step on. Like, I just am like, here I come, you know, uh-huh. like I'm doing this, 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 and this, whether you want it or not. And, right. um, <laughs> you know, in pre-forced, I would have never, I mean, I was a yeah. headstrong, independent, I can do everything on my own. That's how I do things. And so, you know, being in that situation where, you know, you're in an ICU and, you know, so when someone said, Back then, we just had our dog, but our dog was, you know, our child. And so having people who came and took care of our dog twice a day, every day, and she was cray, cray, crazy dog. (laughs) Um, You know, it just meant the world to me that, you know, I knew she was taken care of and that someone else. And so that's also encouragement of, you know, if you can't be the one to say, yeah, I'm going to make a meal list or I'm going to make a dog watch list or a dog walking mm-hmm. list or I'm going to make a lawn list. Somebody else, you yeah. could say, hey, will you for me? I, this dog yeah. has to be walked, you know, twice yeah. a day. Or yeah, I remember out. people paying. I remember somebody paying lawn care for us because they knew that I was going to be gone for a while. They they paid lawn care for us for like a, a few months. And like Bethany didn't have to think about that. And she so amazing. What a gift. There's now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was our pediatrician who was also a friend from church who took Liza for an extended oh, period right. while yeah. the girls were in the hospital. There is a list of a million people that I have not properly thanked yeah. for what yeah. they stepped in and did. Yeah. So yeah. for those stepping in and doing something. And they don't something, want it. And they don't, but that's the thing. No. I think we get so worried about like, oh, I didn't, I didn't thank them properly. They mm-hmm. felt needed and that right. was a yeah. gift to them. Yeah. But even if you take a step and you do something and you don't get a response, right? That don't take that as a lack of appreciation. Take yes. that as a you met a need that if you had not met that need, then there would have been an issue. And right. but you allowed life to continue smoothly. I mean, like I I, I could literally name probably a hundred people that yeah. stepped in and did um, that. I was like, oh, okay. Great. Thank you. And it yes. kept going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what do you wish? We just got a little bit more time. Looking back, you're, you know, um, what, 10, 10 
right at 10 years out. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you wish you had known? What do you wish that, you know, obviously we don't live in a, a wish I'd changed this or wish I'd done this differently, <laughs> but what do you wish you had known that now 10 years out or what will you even say grace for? You know, as you, I heard you say, you know, thinking about taking care of two medically fragile children, one extremely medically fragile at that time, there was no time for you to go to therapy, but mm-hmm. you saw later down the road that that's what you needed to do. And you were at a place that you could do it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I hope that you've had grace with yourself to know that you couldn't do it right away. And that was okay. Right. So when you look back, what do you wish you had known? Do you have something in mind? I don't. <laughs> uh, well, I, obviously, I have a couple. Right. Um, well, I also... How old were the girls? Four. It was in Penny's stoma closure year. Oh, yeah. I uh, found melanoma on my leg. And I had not been going to my regular doctor's appointments. I had not been taking care of myself. And because I didn't, the cancer grew to a point where I needed a more invasive surgery to get rid of it. And it could have been in my lymph nodes and it could have been way worse. It was not, it was just a surgery and we moved on, but it was because I wasn't paying attention to my needs as a human that it got to the point that it needed more invasive interaction. And so I wish I had um, known the importance of maintaining the care for myself, even just the basic things. Like Mm -hmm. I know I'm a, I'm a, I had had abnormal skin things removed. I knew I needed to go to the dermatologist. It cost money. It took time. Don't, no time for that. Yeah. Um, but it, it ended up costing a lot more. Um, so those kind of things need managing. Therapy can come later. Yeah. But what I d- have learned, and I think it's my biggest takeaway now that I wish I had been able to tell myself then, although I'm kind of on the fence about whether I would want to tell myself then, or I'm just glad I know now. I'll explain and it might make more sense. (laughs) In the hospital, I found myself finding comfort in the fact that I could look down the hall and see somebody else's issue that was worse than mine. And so I, I would pray for them and feel grateful that I didn't have that worse thing. Now I realize that that functions on the false assumption that only the one suffering the most gets to suffer. Like only Mm -hmm. only the one who has the biggest problem has the right to be, to grieve about it Mm -hmm. and to be, and to hurt. Um, And that's just not true. Uh, Like the mom who has a typical birth and then goes home to an exhausting human being she's made is allowed to grieve the life she lost. And the mother who spends months and months in the hospital, you know, juggling and all that stuff is allowed to grieve the, what she doesn't and hope have for the normalcy yeah. and also be grateful for the things that you have. It's not to negate the gratitude, but that grief and gratitude can coexist. Mm-hmm. It's not, if you're grateful enough, you won't be sad. Or if you're grateful enough, it won't be hard. Or if you're really struggling with how hard it is, you're not grateful. That's just not true. Um, and so it's, gratitude is not the antidote for grief. Mm-hmm. They coexist. Um, and I think if I had allowed them to coexist a bit more, um, I might have been able to look honestly at what we were dealing with and deal with it then. I did a whole lot of like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm happy, mm-hmm. I'm grateful. My children are alive. I've got nothing to complain about. Um, 
And I, I think, yeah, we survived, but I think I could have survived a bit more in a balanced way if I was able to say, this is hard and mm-hmm. we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautifully said. Bar. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. And, and I think in life too, we can take that, that, you know, just because maybe what somebody's going through is hard. It doesn't negate that what we're going through is not also hard and not right. also. Yeah. Um, and so everything y'all were going through up there obviously was really, really hard. Um, a beautiful thing that you got to go home with your girls and your girls are doing well. Um, but it doesn't negate the fact that that was unbelievably hard. And I think we can all listen, know, you know, trying to put ourselves there and think 10 and a half months. And even, I mean, I feel like we just barely touched on how much fear you both must have had when they were in the womb and Mm -hmm. the fear of the unknown and the fear of even if you're going to get to the point where you get to meet Penny and see Penny. I mean, we didn't even really touch on that stuff. And, you know, when we started the parent mentor program so many years ago, um, I kind of, you know, saw all parents, no matter what their diagnosis or what was going on. And that was actually one of the areas that I really figured out pretty quickly that I was not the best person for because, mm-hmm. you know, I, during pregnancy, kind of lived in 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 bliss. I got through the 20 week, everything looked great. We're going to have a healthy baby. Everything's going to be beautiful. You know, my mm-hmm. life didn't get upended until, you know, he was 10, 11 hours old. And so, yeah. you know, talking to moms and dads who got horrible news while the baby was in the womb, it is something different than I can ever grasp or understand. And yeah, you know, that's a whole different world of that fear and that unknown and not knowing what's going to happen and how you can help them. And so um, I think it was beautiful what you said. Well, let's finish on how is your family doing today? How are Penny? <laughs> how is Lydia? How are you both doing? We heard a little bit about Jonathan, you're still touring. I think you did not touch enough on how incredible of a violinist you are. Oh my gosh. Um, That's my job. It's I'm un- the president of his fan club. It you. is unreal. If y'all get a, a chance to Google YouTube Jonathan Chu and watch oh my him gosh. play, it is it's truly unreal. So um, I will say I have a lot of great memories of playing for the girls in in the NICU, mm-hmm. and a lot of the NICU nurses will still like messages like, oh, "It's like what's one of my favorite memories of hearing violin in the NICU." I was like, that was a lot of fun. I will say mm-hmm. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed getting to play for the kids and the nurses while I was yeah. in the hospital. So that's um, amazing. I have to figure something out about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one day maybe we could. What, I know, could, right? If we can get back in the hospital to do our meals right. again, we uh, oh, yes. we would we would love to bring you in and, and have you oh be music gosh, during a dinner. How amazing would that oh, be? So we can figure that out. Um, so how the are girls you are almost eleven? Uh, they are crazy, creative little minds that just constantly are uh, challenging us, <laughs> challenging life. Uh, they they look at life and just love every moment and constantly where I'm constantly personally constantly amazed at their creativeness and their unique views on things and um, we we're pretty deliberate about forcing them to be like hey let's let's turn the TV off and go outside and play for a while like mm-hmm. let's let's not play so many video games today let's let's go outside and, and like make up worlds and things like that so um, we're, we're grateful for for those moments that we get to see them really just um, 
think outside the box, but uh, Penny still has some some things that are going on as far as like medical things. She's we're we're actually very close, close yeah. to getting her G tube out. Yeah, um, she is almost eleven, and they told us when we got it that it will probably <laughs> be gone by kindergarten. Um, <laughs> but that's Penny's mo is like, oh, yeah. that's what's supposed to happen. Nah. Yeah. So we, uh, she's, she, because of the oral aversion that she dealt with, uh, because of all of the early trauma, um, and paired with ADHD and attention issues and textural sensory type issues, she just doesn't enjoy eating enough to eat enough to grow. And right. her little body takes extra calories because it has to work extra hard to breathe. So getting enough calories in her is a challenge. So until now, I I mean, the G-tube has been a blessing for our family because I haven't had to fight her to eat. I mean, she'll eat what she wants to eat and then I can get her the nutrition and the medicine she needs. Now she's decided she's ready to do what it takes to get the G-tube out. And so she's deciding like, okay, I need to eat more of this and I don't like this kind of food. Can we cut it up or can we change it this way? So she's kind of taking ownership of that for herself, which um, it's really fun to see, um, her, her take ownership of her health. Um, so we're hoping that by March we can have the G tube out. Um, but she's Lydia plays the violin and Penny plays the piano and they, um, Lydia, Penny loves to draw. Lydia loves to read. Um, they're just amazing. (laughs) They're they're kind of polar opposites, but it's like that in the same way, they're the same. Like, it's just interesting to watch them. I think that's a, the crazy and fun part about having twins and um, genetically identi- identical, but completely opposite. Mm-hmm. Like one likes quiet, one likes loud, one likes to, to, you know, ask a ton of questions. One likes to think about it and then ask a very poignant question and just constantly um, mm-hmm. surprising us just with the way they, they do things. But it's, I think that's been the fun of it all is, is um, yeah, just learning about, their little personalities as they continue to grow. But, Watching um, humans become humans. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, thank y'all for um, everything that y'all have done. And I will say, you know, you were one of my earlier families and um, I had just been, I think really mentoring at that part, at that point, maybe if four, if Austin's 13, anyways, you know, where I was coming regularly <laughs> you know, maybe a year or two. Um, And, you know, even where I remember one day showing up, because back then I was Thursday afternoons, and I remember showing up one day, (laughs) and one of you went, oh, it's Thursday. And like, you Uh truly had no idea what day it was until I showed up, because I came on Thursdays. (laughs) And, you know, it really hit me in that moment of like, okay, like, they are experiencing People are expecting me. My families are expecting the me time by you. Yeah. Yeah, to, to come and be there and listen and talk or, um, but you know, you, your family of four taught me a lot too. And, um, I got to see y'all really fight through very difficult things and, um, be incredible parents and be incredible parents, even when you were in another country, um, and you know, y'all were very loved in that NICU, uh, your love for others really shown through and your love for your babies. And, um, I know some of those dear friends you made in the NICU and a lot of that <laughs> says to who y'all are as people and how people are drawn to you. And, um, so it was, you know, 11 years ago, it was a joy and privilege to meet y'all mm-hmm. and to, 
you know, walk that journey with y'all and to be a part of your girls' lives. And um, I always tell people, I, I wish I had never met you because it would have meant <laughs> that my son is alive and your daughters right. were healthy. Um, right. yeah. But God had a reason for us meeting. God yeah. had a reason for putting us together because I don't know if we ever would have met if it wasn't because of those two reasons. Um, right. But what a joy and honor it was for me to be a part of y'all's lives and then to continue to see y'all's story and to see how well your daughters are doing and to see how well y'all are doing, because that is not <laughs> always what happens either. We honestly know yeah, enough people true. who marriages haven't survived and yeah, yeah. Um, the trauma of what y'all went through. And so I'm proud of y'all. I'm proud of how hard you two fought and I'm proud of, of those girls in your family. So thank you for spending an hour with me. Um, thank you for sharing your story. I know it's never easy to go back and to walk that hard road and to relive those times and those moments. Um, a lot of beautiful in there, but a lot of hard, hard. So thank y'all for that, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. we did unearth a little bit of grief, but a whole lot of gratitude came up with it. So <laughs> we'll take both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting us be a part of it. And um, let the, thank you thank for you to the Four Spence Fund. Thank you for all of you do. We yeah. really appreciate it. I mean, seriously, our our ability to thrive can be directly tied to the work that you and your team did and continue to do. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it can be measured how how positively you've affected us. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Well, great to see y'all. Please give my love to your girls and uh, we will talk to y'all soon. All right. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.